you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, not 2 Peter. Um, 1 Peter. Well, I had a ribbon in there, but I can't see. There it is. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. 1 Peter. Um, we're only going to cover the first two verses today, uh, not because not because this is a short sermon. Uh, so sorry, uh, just go ahead and dispel that myth very quickly. We're only covering two verses because man is their depth in these two verses. Um, and I decided rather than skirt over and cover more passage, uh, but not really get as deep, I, I decided it was, it was a good day for some, some deep sea diving into the word. So, so we're only going to cover, uh, verses one and two. Would you stand with me as we read from first Peter chapter one, verses one and two? This is God's word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Pray with me. Father, I pray that as we dig into a new book, a new series, as we begin to look at the words that Peter has written, that, Father, we would see ourselves in this passage, that we would see who you are calling us to be, and that we would become those people. Not because we can do it ourselves. We need your help. Father, you're giving us everything we need. So Lord, I pray today that you would do the work in us to make us your chosen people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, as we're getting started on this, I usually like to take a little bit of time at the beginning of a series when we're talking about a new book to kind of introduce you a little bit to the book. So on the on the back of the bulletin, you'll notice that before we get into the sermon notes at the top, it kind of has a brief outline of First Peter. First Peter uh, obviously is a letter that Peter wrote, and it's the first of two. You know, so so if you go after First Peter, you'll find Second Peter. That was written late in life. This one was written a couple of years before, probably around 62-ish, give or take a couple of years in there. But but Peter is writing possibly from Rome. We don't know exactly where for sure, but most think Rome. And he's writing to a group of Christians that are scattered around various areas of what we now call Turkey. So these provinces of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, that's all in the region of Turkey. So it would include churches in cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. It would include the seven churches of Revelation, Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum and Philadelphia and, and Laodicea and all those churches. And it would include some churches in other places as well. Basically, this is a part of the world where there are some Jews and there are some Gentiles and they are following Christ. And he is writing to those believers in that region scattered around in those places, in those churches that are meeting in people's homes, in people's living rooms. They don't have church buildings. They don't have an association. They don't have like a convention or a denomination. They're just people trying to follow God in life together. Okay? 
This is who Peter's writing to, and it's the early 60s. Not, not the 1960s, that's a totally different time, but the early 60s AD, okay? And when he writes, he seems to be really concerned with identity. And there's a reason for that. Peter himself is really concerned with his own identity. Pop back to verse 1 for a second. Notice how he calls himself. First, he says Peter. Now, that's not his name. His name is Simon. But one day, Jesus said, you are Peter. And so from then on, the scripture calls him either Simon Peter or Peter. Everywhere he goes after this point, he is now known by the name Jesus has given him. And boy, there's a sermon right there, isn't there? Are you known by the name that Jesus has given you? Have you found your identity in who Christ has said you are? Or have you found it in something else? Maybe you find it in your work. Maybe you find it, you know, somebody asks, well, who are you? You say your own name, and then you say, I do this for a living. I've got this wife and, and these kids, or, or I don't have a wife, or, or I've, I've, I was married, but then I'm divorced. You might call yourself by the things that you do. I love to do this. One of my hobbies is that. And you think of that as kind of a source of your identity. And it's easy to think in those kind of ways because those are easy things to grab a hold of. But Christ has given us an identity. He's given us a new name. And if we're not living in that, well, then that kind of blows the whole point of everything. And so Peter wants these people to see their identity in Christ. And so once you get beyond uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and you start in chapter 1, verse 3, all the way down to 2.10, you find our identities in Christ. That's the major theme of that portion of the letter. And so you have the introduction in the first two verses. Then you have our identities in Christ. Beyond that, he turns from who we are to what we do. Our responsibilities in Christ, beginning in chapter 2, verse 11. And all the way through most of the rest of the book, there's just a couple verses at the very end that are conclusion. But everything else is focused on, now you know who you are, this is what you ought to be doing. This is how we apply our identities to the situations that we face. So Peter defines himself. He says, I'm Peter, because that's the name Jesus gave me. He also says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now in 2 Peter, he adds another word to this. He calls himself a servant and an apostle. You see, Peter has found his identity so much in Christ that he thinks of himself by the name Jesus gave him and by the commission Jesus gave him. That word apostle, apostolos in Greek, it literally means one who is officially sanctioned and commissioned to act on behalf of another as a representative or as a messenger. It's not just... I just kind of had nothing to do, so I decided to be an apostle. No, Jesus has appointed Peter as an apostle. Just as he appointed Paul as an apostle, just as he appointed the other disciples that were walking with him, except for Judas as an apostle, he appoints Peter as an apostle. And with Peter, we get an interesting view because Peter is in the inner group. You got the 12 disciples that are walking with Jesus. They're doing all kinds of ministry with Jesus. That are, they're taking care of all sorts of things. And then you got those three inner circle guys, Peter, James, and John. And boy, they have a unique perspective. 
They're the ones on the mountain when Jesus is transfigured. They're the ones that, that Jesus pulls aside in the Garden of Gethsemane. Walk a little further with me. They're the ones that Jesus is closest to, that he's pouring into the most. Peter is one of those guys. He's the one walking on water when everybody else is in the boat in the middle of the storm. And yeah, he was sinking because he took his eyes off Jesus. You think that may have made an impact on him? You think looking at Jesus, walking on those waves, looking away and falling and him picking him up out of the raging sea around him, you think that might have made a difference in Peter? Peter uh, had, hand, had, a, had, had foot and mouth syndrome. He, uh, he got his foot in his mouth a lot. But he's, all, he, he's rebuked a lot, but he's also praised a lot because he's the only one that's really worth talking. Like, like everybody else is afraid to talk. Peter just say it. Peter's just the guy that's just going to tell you what he thinks. Whether it's right or wrong, doesn't matter. He's going to tell you what he thinks. And sometimes he comes up with some dingers. Sometimes he is way off. Sometimes he is right on the money. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's Peter that says that. So this is a guy who has found his identity in Christ. Well, think about it. If you had been walking with Jesus, close to Jesus, the night that he's getting arrested, Jesus tells, you, tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and Peter denies him three times before the rooster crows. And then, the, and then after the resurrection, Jesus restores him back to his place. No wonder this guy finds his identity in Christ. He has been reshaped by the presence of God. And now he's writing because he wants these folks these folks all around in all these different areas, he wants them to be reshaped into the image of God too. He wants them to find who they are in Jesus Christ, not in their occupations, not in their family life, not in their social standing, but in Christ. And here's what he says to them. He says, to those who are elect exiles, that's an interesting combination of words. When we think of elect, we think of politics. We think of going to the ballot box and choosing one candidate over another. And that, that, that idea of choice is in this word. But I really want to focus on the second word, exiles. You see, elect is an adjective. Adjectives modify nouns. Exiles is the noun which tells me that Peter really wants you to get that they are exiles. Now, when you think about the Old Testament Israel and you think about the people who are in Egypt in slavery and they are brought out of Egypt and, and cross the Red Sea by miracle and they wander through the wilderness and they get to their promised land that God has given them, up until that point, they are really exiles. They are sojourners. They are temporary Residents, strangers and aliens, he would go on in chapter 2 to call this group of folks. Those, those Old Testament Israelites don't really have a home until they get to their promised land. That place flowing with milk and honey, that place of rest for the people of God. But they don't rest. No, instead they, they turn away from God. They put God on the back burner 
And yeah, we're still going to say certain prayers. And yeah, we're still going to go through certain rituals. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll offer some sacrifices and we'll pray some prayers and we'll do some things. But their hearts turn away from God and turn toward other gods. And so this people is taken into another exile. An exile into Babylon. An exile into Assyria for the northern tribes. See, they're in exile because they're sinning against God. That's not the case with this group. This group are temporary residents. They're aliens. They're sojourners because they don't have their home yet. And that's part of our identity that we need to see. We, we, you want to know the identity that Christ has given us. Part of the identity is that we are elected exiles. We are his chosen sojourners. We are not just people who, who God has said, uh, you'll do, okay, I guess I'll take you. No, God has specifically chosen us. Now, why did he choose us? I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't for my good looks. I know that. It may have been because of my lack of good looks. He may have felt sorry for me. Oh, man, that guy, that poor guy, he needs, he needs something. I don't know. But God didn't choose us just because we look good. God didn't choose us just because we talk good. God didn't choose us just because we act good. God didn't choose us for any reason of ours. He chose us for his own purpose and for his own reason, just as he chose the nation of Israel out of all the nations to be his chosen people. And it wasn't what Israel did. It wasn't because they were mighty. It wasn't because they were strong. It wasn't because they were awesome and incredible and God just had to have his people. He chose this people out of his own will. Now, I don't understand exactly how that works. I don't need to. All I know is that he said, I choose you. It's all he said. Um, Savannah, I need that. I'm not supposed to have anything. Sorry about that, y'all. God has chosen us. And because he's chosen us, we are his chosen sojourners. We are his elected exiles. Now, what does that mean? Well, in part, that means that God picked us. He could have picked us or he could have picked somebody else. He chose us. Now, we don't know who all God has chosen. All we know is that as God's chosen people, it ought to affect the way that we live. We don't know exactly why God chose us. We don't know how God chose us. We don't understand all the nuts and bolts of it. But we know that God has chosen us. He said, I choose you. And because of that, we ought to be affected by the way that we live. Because he has chosen us, we ought to live like his chosen people. But we are also exiles. And in fact, I think more importantly, we're exiles. See, we don't have a home here. Now, you might have a house that you live in or an apartment, a flat. You might have some sort of dwelling that you call your own. But... We don't really live here, do we? I mean, we stay here for a while. Grand scheme of things. What, what The average life expectancy somewhere around 80 years now. 80 years. Seems like a long time. When you're 80, it doesn't seem like a long time. But when you're not 80, it seems like quite a while. But compare that to eternity. And man, that's a blink of an eye. 
Even if you live to 100 or 120. I think some of the, some of the uh, longest living folks alive are in their 110s, 115, somewhere in there, 120, somewhere, somewhere around there. Even that is just a drop in the bucket. Even that is just so temporary. We look at this and we look at it like it's all there is. And we get so caught up in the things that are in front of us that we miss the fact that eternity is much more. And we lose the fact that there's more beyond this physical world than what we see. And so we find our identity in this physical stuff and it's just temporary. It's gone in a flash and suddenly we are empty because we have nothing left. Nothing you come into this world and nothing you leave this world. And some of us think that in the interim that we can fill all the stuff we can possibly fill in between those two times and that will make us happy. And the fact of the matter is we don't get that because our identity, if it's not found in Christ, is found in something that passes away. Unless we find who we are in Christ, unless we are God's elected exiles, his chosen sojourners, unless we realize the fact that all this is temporary and we put all of our eggs in an eternal basket, then, then we've missed it. Being God's elected exiles, uh, uh, really, he brings it to a point with a couple of, of phrases in the rest of verse two. The first is that the Father has foreknown us. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of, the, of God the Father. Now, what's according to foreknowledge? The fact that we're his elected exiles. You see, the fact that God has chosen us and the fact that we are exiles in the world are both according to the fact that God has foreknown us. This word for foreknowledge is not just I knew about it ahead of time. Some of us, some of us have uh, this idea of foreknowledge. Like, have you ever, have you ever watched, and you could see something was about to happen, and you couldn't really stop it in time, but you knew it was happening. It's it's the time where you 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 watch a kid like climbing to get something, and you can see that they're slipping, <laughs> but you can't quite get there to catch them, and they fall. Or you can kind of see the look in someone's eye when they're about to do something and you know it. I have this story where um, I was playing intramural flag football, okay? And I was, I was playing a position of linebacker and, and I was the Mike linebacker because, you know, that's just where they put me with the middle of the field. So that, that's Mike. You got Sam who's on the strong side. You got Mike who's in the middle. And then you've got Will who's on the weak side, okay? That's... That's kind of the way they, they term those. So I was the Mike linebacker. I was in the middle of the field. And I watched something happen. I could see the play unfolding. I knew that the quarterback was going to throw to a certain receiver. Now, I happened to be further on one side of the field than the other at the time. And, and they're on the other side of the field, way at the end of the end line. So I, I, I saw it was happening before it happened. I felt like... I felt like a great player at the moment because I was like, I know it's going to happen and all I, all I have to do is just run over there and stop it. And of course, I'm slow as molasses. So I'm trying to get there. Somehow I get there just in the nick of time to knock the ball away. And I'm telling you, I, I should have been, been in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for that one play. I mean, I was amazing. <laughs> that one play. Now, 
If you count the rest of the plays, I wasn't that good. But for some reason, that one play, I was an all-star linebacker. Just, just, but I could see it happening before it developed. It, foreknowledge isn't just seeing it happen ahead of time. It's more than that. It's God determining that it will happen. Think about it like this. It's one thing to say, I think I'm going to go to the store today. It's another thing to say, I got to go to the store today. That's foreknowledge. Foreknowledge isn't just, I'm going to find time somehow to get to the store today. Foreknowledge is, I'm going to make it happen. I'm putting it on the calendar. At this time, after these things and before these things, I'm going to the store. Right? Do you see it? That's God's foreknowledge in action. Now, it's not just going to the store. He's doing much greater things than that. But it's the same basic idea. God has said, this is what's going to happen, and I'm going to move heaven and earth if I have to, to make it happen. Whatever, whatever it takes, it will happen. You see, because the will of God is not something that we just say, oh, you know, I'd really like it if... No, no, God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The zeal of the Lord will do this. It says uh, in Isaiah 9, right after that, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, he says the zeal of the Lord will do this. It's going to happen. God has determined it. So we are foreknown by the Father, not just known ahead of time, but it's been determined by God that we are going to be his exiles. That this is not going to be our home. That we're going to have a source of identity that's very different from all that. Not only has God foreknown us, and there's great comfort in that. Because he knows your mess-ups. He doesn't just know your strengths. He knows, he knows where you need help. He's known it from the beginning of time. That's why 2 Peter 1.3, we were talking about 2 Peter in Sunday school this morning. 2 Peter 1.3, he has given us everything we need because he knew we would need it. He didn't just throw us out there like, like, like a sheep among wolves and say, good luck, call me if you need me. No, he gave us equipment. He gives us everything we need because he foreknows us. Our identity as elected exiles is not only uh, because of God's foreknowledge, according to his foreknowledge, it's also because uh, the Spirit is sanctifying us. So God has foreknown us, the Spirit is sanctifying us. I put this in present tense because it's an ongoing process, isn't it? Uh, back in verse 2, in the sanctification of the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is working within us to produce in us the character that God has already determined will be produced. Now, some of us fight Him on that. Some of us disagree with Him. Some of us argue with Him. Some of us take the long road. R1. I, I, that's me. Maybe it's you too. I suspect at least at some point it has been. We all like sheep, have gone astray. But God's Spirit is working to sanctify us. Sanctification is this ongoing process whereby God takes the sinful nature and kills it and takes His divine nature 
and shapes us by that. And that doesn't mean we become divine. It means we become like the divine. God takes the clay and throws it in some water because it's way too hard to work with and softens it up. And he takes it and he, he as it gets soft, he, he starts to mold it and shape it. And sometimes the clay's a little bit too hard still. He's got to soak it some more. Sometimes the clay is real soft and he has to let it dry out and harden. Sometimes he's able to shape and, and there's periods where, where God does so much shaping that, that, that the vessel becomes clear. That there's amazing detail in there and, and it just is a fascinating time. There's other times where the clay just isn't nearly as usable and God has to work more on the clay than on the vessel. But God's Spirit is sanctifying us. And it's this ongoing process that never ends because we're never perfect until that one day, that one day when God finishes the work and glorifies us. I hate to tell you this, that, that's after your death, okay? So, that, sorry, you don't hit that here. You can get kind of close. But after we die and we're with him in heaven for all eternity, he has, he has taken every bit of sin out and he has made us perfect. Until that day comes, though, he's still got a lot of work to do. And he's, and he's doing it because we're his elected exiles. You see, if you are finding your identity in Christ, you're not going to be the same today that you were a few years ago. You're going to be more like Christ. If you're finding your identity in the world, if you're finding your identity in the stuff, if you're finding your identity in your job, if you're finding your identity in your family, if you're finding your identity in anything else, it ain't going to work that way. But if you are finding your identity in Christ, you will be more like God today than you were last year and more like Him next year than you are today. You will be continuing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says that too, by the way. What's that? 1 Peter 3.18? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, that's 1 Peter 3.18. So first, they, they memorized a song for their kindergarten graduation or their uh, uh, preschool graduation. And that was 1 Peter 3.18. The Father has foreknown us and the Spirit is sanctifying us. And man, he's got a lot of work to do, but he ain't giving up. The next part is really fascinating. The Son. You see, we have the Father and we have the Spirit. So we're missing the Son, right? Now, the Son, son comes in now. The Son reigns in us through His atonement for us. Verse 2. We're, we're elected exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. You see, what, what this really boils down to is that Christ has made the atonement for our sins that has brought us into God's family. Because Jesus has paid the price for our sins. That debt no longer hangs over us. We now as children of God, as his elected exiles, can now experience the reign of the Son. It would be one thing to say, 
All right, God knew us. God's Spirit's working in us. And one day we're going to be completed and that's it. This really brings it home. According to, it's kind of a word that identifies the source. According to kind of gives you a way of how this has happened. In, that's kind of the, that's kind of the method, isn't it? How do you drive to grandma's house for that holiday meal? You go in your car, right? It kind of shows us the method that is being used to bring about the desired result. But four, four indicates what that result is. And so what we have is God, through his foreknowledge, determining that we're going to be his elected exiles. And so he puts us in the vehicle of the Spirit's sanctification to get us to the destination of obedience to Christ through his atonement. There's sprinkling of blood. The picture here, the high priest every year would go in to the Holy of Holies. Having made a sacrifice on the outside, he would enter in with the incense and with the blood of that sacrifice and he would sprinkle it over the, the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant and sprinkle it on the walls as he's praying that God will forgive the sins of the people of Israel. And then after that, when he backs back out, because you don't turn your back on God, as he backs back out through the curtain, he pronounces God's blessing of forgiveness to his people and calls them to follow God's ways in the future. That's what Jesus has done. He took his own blood. It's not the blood of a bull or a goat. Something that cannot save. He takes his own blood and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat right, right in the throne room of the Father. And having purged our sins from us, he dwells in our hearts to rule and to reign so the Spirit can sanctify us as God's elected exiles. Do you see now why I didn't want to cover more than two verses? Our identities cannot be found anywhere else. If we could find them anywhere else, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. If we could find them anywhere else, God would have been wasting his time doing all this. No. If we are to be the people that we were created to be, we must find who we are in the person of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. It's not in your job. It's not in your family. It's not in your home. It's not in the wealth you have. It's not in anything else but Christ. And that's so hard because it's so easy to say, but I am this. I, I can't quit my job because God's telling me to. I need the money. How are we going to feed our kids? How are we going to take care of our family? I can't, I can't do, I can't, I can't go to Malawi. That's nuts. I'm, I'm too fat for Malawi. I'm too comfortable. This is my life. This is how I live. I can't, I can't do that. I, God, I can't. I can't give this up. I mean, sure, it'd, it'd be nice to have it gone, but 
I mean, it's kind of kind of who I am. Besides, your grace is sufficient, right? I can I can just keep, you know, every now and then fall off the bandwagon, but I'll try really hard. But no, if we are finding our identity in anything else other than Jesus Christ, we will be empty. Paul says in Ephesians of God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You really want to know who you are? You're only going to find that in Christ. You're only going to find it in God himself. You can't find it anywhere else. God's known you. He likes you anyway. God has known you. He's foreknown you and he's determined to choose you in spite of you. In spite of your failures, in spite of your weaknesses, in spite uh, of all those blemishes and all those things that you look at and wish you could change about yourself. God has chosen you anyway. He's sanctifying you. He's at work in you to make you into the person that He's created you to be. He reigns in you through His atonement. He's not giving up on you. He's taken away your sins to bring you into a place of following Him. He has done all this. I'm barely scratching the surface, y'all. You ever get that pan? You burn food on the bottom of it and you have to scrub and scrub and scrub to try to get it clean. I could work at this all day and all night for the rest of my life and I will not get I won't, I won't barely make a dent in all of that bottom of the pan crusty stuff to get this out. God has been so good to us. And all he asks is for us to just completely abandon everything else and follow him. I'm telling you, it's worth it. So as God's elected exiles, what do we do? First, do you know the Father? If you don't know the Father, that's the place to start. Right? I mean, if you don't know God, if you've never, if you've never surrendered your life to Him and, and, and been reconciled to Him, if you are if you are committing all the sins and atrocities against God and you have never asked for forgiveness, I, I would I would bring you to that point first and I'd tell you the first thing you need to do is get to know God. The first thing you need to do is come before Him on your knees, begging Him for mercy for your sins, to be sprinkled with His blood, to be atoned for, to have your sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb. That's the first step. Maybe you've done that, and um, you're wondering, now now I'm, I'm an elected exile, what do I do? First, remember this isn't your home. Don't get so comfortable with the things and with the people, and with all the trappings of the world. Look to Christ. Gaze long into His eyes. Study His Word intently. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. And as He does, monkey see, monkey do. You see Christ loving enemies. You love your enemies. You see Christ... Speaking the truth, you speak the truth. You see Christ willing to do whatever it takes for the good of others. You just follow his lead. You just do what he's doing. Let God do that work in you.
Let him, let him change you. Let him sanctify you. Let him take care of those sins that you just keep running back to. Open it up. Be submissive. Just let him work. Let him reign. You know sometimes when you need to do it. You know because his voice is almost audible. This is, this is my will. Maybe, maybe it has to do with moving. Maybe it has to do with taking on a new job. Maybe it has to do with something even simpler. I've had times where I know that God has ordained even small details that I never even thought he cared about. And he has. And I can see it. I can see it unfold. Are you willing to obey even when it's the little things? See, this is the work of God in you as an elected exile. It's not just the big honking things. It's being faithful in the day to day. You're a citizen of a different kingdom. So live like it. We're going to keep talking about who we are. And we're going to take slow progress through this epistle. Because there's just so much richness here. I can't wait to see what God does in us and through us. Pray with me. Lord, this is your time. It's your will. It's your way. I I can't. Sometimes I feel like I'm at a loss for words just because I. How do you how do you express your goodness? I need, I need a few more languages. I need, I need more vocabulary. I need, I need bigger and, and, and better speech. I need more poetic. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I need to express you better. But, Father, you're so good that maybe we just can't express you. And maybe, maybe part of being those elected exiles is that we have to learn that We do the best we can, and with your help, it makes a difference. Father, you've foreknown us, you're sanctifying us, bringing us to obedience to Jesus and his atonement. You have been so good to us. Now in this time of invitation, we do want to act on that obedience. You might be leading some to, to follow, follow you that have never followed you before, that have heard about you maybe, that have, that have heard your gospel preached, but they've never given their heart to Christ. Father, I pray this morning that's what you would do, that you would call them to the cross to experience what that atonement really is. Father, for those of us who are saved, for those of us who have trusted you with our lives, Lord, would you guide us? Would you help us act on that trust? Would you help us obey? Would you help us do the work? Would you bring your spirit to bear in the everyday situations of our lives? Would you help us to be made more and more in your image? For those of us that, that are praying about a church home, would you, would you show clarity that if this is the place, that, that today would be the day 
And if not, Father, would you, would you lead them where they need to go? Whatever, whatever the situation is, you do the work in us. Because we can't do it without you. You lead in this invitation. In Christ's name, amen. Y'all stand with us.